Croeso and welcome to Tales for Wales, the pod that never fails to be clinically and literally the cure for depression. And that is... <laughs> I'm Jack, and as always, I'm joined by my friend, my confidant, my buddy, Franco. And today we're going to be talking about... What was it again? Because I've forgotten. Um, one second. It's not It's not saying we're uploading. Oh, hang on. No, it is. Sorry, tech issues to kick off 2024. I know. Classic. What can we do? Uh, so we're doing a Pendedin Rapscallion today. That sounds like a very interesting subject. I have no idea about it, but anything with rap, rap scallion in it yeah, piques well, my interest. But before we get into that, mate, come on now. How the bloody hell are you? Good, mate. How was your crimbo? Did you get well, everything you wanted? No. <laughs> I did uh, not. We have, so for the listeners, this will probably come out like weeks after Christmas, but we haven't spoke to each mm. other uh, on the on, on here since then. Um We've we've stayed in contact via text, of course, but we haven't seen each other <laughs> no, since. Uh, absolute since radio since... silence since <laughs> that. We only talk on the pod now. We don't we don't interact. Outside Can't waste any valuable bants. Um, <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, uh, so bless Emma. Like she got me. Like uh, we were both. She, I, we we're trying to save for our wedding, so we didn't want to go over the top on stuff. But um, we said mm. we wouldn't go too wild. But she bought me um, such practical presents that. After I gave her what I gave her, she was like, "Oh, I'm sorry," because <laughs> she got me a, <laughs> a a clothes, you know, like a hanger, like a coat hanger. Yeah. Or, and she got me a coat hanger, but has five rings going down it, so you can put five pairs of trousers on it. <laughs> oh, I got a fucking a tie rack, so you know, probably competing <laughs> for the most. Well, fucking I only I only <laughs> own about present. three chinos or jeans. I don't own many trousers. Mm. I, I wear joggers all the time. Because I work from home, uh, and you've never wear a tie. I know for weddings, that's about it. I, <laughs> yeah. I've got probably about three or four, but I just what well, I I just hook them around the uh, yeah. what's called the the, the coat hanger. Yeah, the coat yeah. hanger bit. So who but got no, you apparently that? that one good enough. So uh, Amy, Amy, obviously. <laughs> yeah. um, and then I also got um, I have I have like a band like a headband that I fall asleep in that has headphones mm. on either side, um, and. Uh, so I fall asleep to sound, but she she bought me a replacement. That quite just, well, I, I so she bought me. I already have that. She bought me it in case mm. of when I have breaks. Which is, oh. um, <laughs> always prepping, yeah. always prepping that um, girl. And then, but then I got her like a, a hotel chocolate, uh, hotel chocolate, one of those uh, velvetizers, and um, oh like, yeah, spent quite a bit on her. That she she was a bit like. Oh, um, I'm but also, <laughs> I love giving presents, and I don't need anything. Like I have, I, I, I'm much more of a let's go do something, let's go have a mm. like food or a pint or go see comedy. Um, where Emma loves, I always tell Amy when she asks me what what I want for Christmas or birthday, it's just like just give me a bottle of rum. Done. Yeah. That's all I need. Yeah. Bottle and, and, be, and I did get without one. anyone. Yes, and one day, one solitary bloody day, <laughs> I can just guzzle it down. Yeah. But no, I got um, yeah, I got that. Uh, I got a bottle of rum, two bottles of rum actually. I got one for birthday, one for Christmas. Um, and that was like my my fun present, if you like. Yeah. Um, yeah. but I also did get a um a trip to Dublin. Wow. Uh, next week, so nice. wow. can't really moan. But yeah, yeah. Our, our practical ones. I got that tie rack thing, tie yeah. hanger. 
and then I got some proper like old man socks, like <laughs> the, the the beigeest things you've ever seen. You know, but when I and wore the, my... you can tell they're for old people because they're so thick. Like well... my feet, I got young young feet. I don't need them to be that insulated. You got a young man's foot. Do you remember when I wore my <laughs> yeah. boxes to uh, in Bath, and everyone said they looked mm. like professor boxes because they were like checkered they did, and, yeah. and like oh, they were my bad <laughs> boxes, like, but they were, you looked like was... a learned gentleman in them. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, and them did get me some nice cooking stuff. So, but it was just funny that like my presence was so practical um <laughs> yeah uh should i give you an episode um how was, i mentioned to you that i went to the doctors didn't i um oh yeah yeah so I, I and i mentioned on the pod before like i have crazy health anxiety that i'm always like sure i'm about to like just keel over but um the doctor did like a health check on me and checked loads of things everything was like good it was like yeah kidneys are in great nick your liver's really good uh, well, not, he didn't say that. He said your liver's I was going to surprise. I, I was going to say, how much <laughs> truth are you putting in this? Your liver's really good. Yeah. So I don't think it's say, really good, is it? It can't say, possibly be. It's still got um, a high level of the old Billy Rubens, which is uh, yeah. which is like a if you have a bit too much booze. But he wasn't like worried at all. He said that's just probably who, in your genetic makeup. He said your kidneys are functioning really <laughs> oh, well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> going, oh, yeah, yeah. The old yeah, genetic right. makeup is dark. I, yeah, I have, absolutely. I, yeah. I, had one, I have one sherry a year, Doc. I don't have anything more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah one um, with dinner just just the brandy on the pudding for me yeah. um and then uh, uh, your kidneys were good like my blood levels were really good my hopes, like everything like he checked he, he put his hand on my liver and was touching it and i was like that doesn't seem so medical <laughs> but he did like blood tests a couple of weeks beforehand but he was just prodding my liv and then he put his hands on my trousers to like check my pulse i was like listen here doc i, I was just about to say down. when was that hand stock going lower and lower oh, it's just the liver oh yeah you're still on liver yeah well you know <laughs> yeah i just want to see what you're packing really bro um so yeah that was um but yeah uh, but then he did say i had an ecg um and he was mm. like, oh, yeah, there is something. He said, your heart is too large. Cause I've, got, I've got too big a heart. You've got too, too, too much. much love to give. That's <laughs> exactly. your problem. Yeah. yeah. And then, and then You're the opposite like... of the Grinch. Two <laughs> sizes, too big. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm the Grinch. I'm a, I've, got, I've got too big a heart. I just... Just care too much. Um, so he, <laughs> I didn't think about the Grinch aspect. That's buckled me. Oh, that's good. Um, <laughs> but he was also, uh, he was talking me through it all. He said, you know, it's not the, he said, like, we don't know what it is. We'll go for another scan. Um, you because I got my dad's got a really bad heart, so uh, like I knew it was mm. something up. I knew I wasn't just going crazy, but I do like I I sometimes tense so much that I'm I feel like I'm having a heart attack. But it's just me being so like worked up and anxious and um. I yeah. have like panic attacks in the night sometimes, and <laughs> M wakes up. She's like, "What's wrong?" I said, oh, I'm just having a quick panic attack, and then I, I roll back <laughs> yeah. to bed. Um, and then, mind your business. <laughs> yeah, the doctor was like, "Oh, that's that's not really that normal," and he, he was like, um, "So after I, I, I was just like, <laughs> that's not really that normal. You're, are you a freak? Are you a little freak? <laughs> yeah, you're a freak, freak loser." But I said to him, I, it was like in casual conversation. I was like, "Yeah, I just kind of always think I'm about to die, really, but you know, it's, it's nothing too severe." <laughs> and he was like, "Okay, um, I'm gonna get you." <laughs> after like I did all the the physical stuff, he was like, "I think hmm. I'm gonna refer you to a mental health nurse." <laughs> I was like, oh, no. great. I've been sent off to the loony bin now. <laughs> there oh, we go. It's the fucking, it's not the hardware, it's the software. Is that what you're telling me, Doc, for fuck's sake? <laughs> yeah. But I had the call with the, the mental health nurse today, and uh, she was mm. like, she was, 
I was just like, oh, do you know what? I, I just think I, I I know what it is. I just overthink things. I just get too anxious. But she was like, hmm, yeah, it does, it does seem a bit more than that. And I was like, don't tell me I need anything. I'm fine. But I, I know uh, my own mind, okay? <laughs> Who are you? Some sort of specialist or something. But I thought I could do it for the pot. I'm going to have a... Um, they, they, I'm gonna have a CPT, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy uh, where they like talk oh, yeah. you through things. So you have to like face things head on, which is probably my weakest strength. In the, but I I can't even <laughs> go to the shops without my podcast on. You know, I need constant noise in my ears to dry to drown out any. Sort you literally of like, are not allowed. You don't allow yourself silence. I never allow myself silence. I know but, that. Yeah. But uh, apparently, in CPD, you you address your worries head on. And I was like, I've never, that's just not how I deal with things, good sir. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, because um, uh, you mentioned about putting on the pod, I thought you were like, so I'm going to like wire you guys into the pod and you can listen <laughs> yeah. to my CBD. Just us going like, <laughs> in the background, like just snickering. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, what a loser. <laughs> oh, he's scared yeah. of losing his life. <laughs> oh, nerd. <laughs> yeah. Oh, face your problems, Franks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I did say to the lady, I said, oh, I think my issue is I just love life so much that I'm worried it will end. And she was just like, oh, well, that's an, I suppose that's kind of a good way. But then she was like, I think it's affecting your quality of life. I was like, my life is quality. I don't know anything yeah. affected. <laughs> right, so What's the, the solution podcast? to that? You need to take take less joy in life. You need to stop <laughs> enjoying yourself so much. Yeah. Well, I thought I could uh, oh. journey. Cause you know, like usually mental health stuff, that's uh, that's very in, isn't it? If we could pivot to be mm. the Welsh History Mental Health Podcast. So how do you think Owen oh, Glyndwr yeah. felt during those rebellion years? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No more talking about the details of the battle. What do you think his, yeah. mi- where his mind was at before the battle? What do you think his well-being <laughs> was saying to him? Do you think he was getting um, his 10,000 steps in? <laughs> that is one of the things I'm pushing for at the moment. Because me, me and Jack have both got treadmills in our house are only for walking because we, we like to play computer <laughs> yeah. games whilst, don't you dare uh, jog running <laughs> yeah. up, just a little bit of walking yeah we, we walk whilst playing xbox which is like yeah. it is bizarre and, and my partner was in last night because my dog is te- Bo is terrified of the walking machine she's like whenever mm. it's on she gets fucking really scared she's like oh what is this so we're trying to get used <laughs> yeah. to it but um i'm talking to emma whilst playing like a game whilst walking she's like you're doing too much at once and i have a podcast in my ear because i always have one <laughs> yeah. earphone in splitting your focus a dozen yeah. ways um, no it's a, it's helped me tremendously my little treadmill i hit my ten thousand basically every day now it's fucking yeah. godsend I a bunch of have to go out in the horrible elements as well no that's the other thing it does kind of make you feel like you're living in like a, a depressing dystopia where we don't ever leave the flat it's like <laughs> yeah. I work where humans home. have ruined the outside world <laughs> yeah. so you're not allowed out anymore so you're just yeah. in your little bubble room half hour work time um, well, because we're, I'm on a lunch record today, should we jump straight into this week's episode? Yeah. Which um, it's not about Pendarian Ras- Rapscallion or whatever that was. <laughs> just lying. Um, you're just I, lying. I, <laughs> God, you were just you were on fire with the lies lately. Uh, for those who are not, uh, well, who are not in our inner circle of friends outside the pod, the, the, the lies that are coming through on my phone is constant. I'm obsessed with telling Jack false information. <laughs> it's, yeah, he keeps. Uh, it started out. It was just pranks, and he keeps calling pranks. They're not pranks anymore. Pranks are like putting a bucket of water on the door so it falls on me when I open. Not fucking a, just lying a, to me, and then me a, going to my other friends, going, "What? Oh, what? Have you heard that?" And they go, "No, that's total rubbish, mate. What are you on about?" 
<laughs> and there with within there lies the prank. <laughs> and oh, Castor Jesus. knew it's this bad character who's, who's untrustworthy. No, it's only because I said um <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know why I said it to you, because what do we say here? Oh, oh no, it was completely unprompted. <laughs> uh, I said do you want to record at twelve? And then he said uh uh, yes. You said, what topic is it today? Is it medieval warfare? I went, oh, it's going to be, but I thought we could do Penderin Rapscallion instead because I got lost <laughs> in a rabbit hole. <laughs> I can't see that's, myself. Oh, that's you really can't. I see, you need a hobby. You need to channel <laughs> I, this into something. I, told you, I have too many hobbies. <laughs> I like too much things. I, I love life so much. I need to constantly add more peril that I might wind people up. Right. Oh Jesus! Well, that was so, yeah. Side side swined me, swined me, side swiped me there. You side swiped me, you did, my lord. <laughs> yeah. uh, so we're doing Welsh medieval warfare um, because we got a. F- uh, I w- the reason I did this because I was researching uh, a uh, someone else from Welsh medieval history, and I thought, and I was reading about one of his battles and his kind of tactics, and I thought, oh, do you know, we, we never really had the context of what Welsh warfare is like. I know we kind of t- touch on it every so often and say, like, mm. you know, that they're, they're skirmishers or whatever. Um, I thought we might as well dip into a whole episode dedicated to it. Um, so I got a lot of this information from a chap called Daniel Mersey, who contributes to uh, CastleWales.com, and then also from a book called The Welsh Wars of Edward I, and another one called Celtic Warriors and War. Uh, and then one, the last one is Society of Medieval Wales. So I actually did read in. Can you believe that? Ooh, I know. Sh- so the fucking In Our Time podcast can shove that up there, ass, so or whoever, whatever the other <laughs> yeah. historical ones are. Um, I, don't, I don't care enough to learn your names. <laughs> no. uh, but I've broken it down into sections, like the differences between the Welsh and European armies, uh, mm. what constitutes a tailie. I thought you'd like this bit, because um, a tailie, which I'll come into in a little bit, yeah. is like uh, the royal guard who stand around like uh, princes or chieftains. Then look at army sizes, and then what type of weapons were used, how warriors looked, and tactics used. So a few things to go over, but it'll be a laugh. Don't turn off. I suppose it'll be a laugh. Don't worry. You've seen the name of this title. You probably you're aware that it's going to be, um, yeah, this content. So first up, um, how Wales differed from the European countries at the time. And when I say at the time, I'm talking around the Anglo-Norman period, so after 1066. But this also applies to some post-Roman era when we fought against the Saxons. But um, predominantly, I'm I'm comparing Wales compared to the the feudal system um, that happened after 1066. Um, okay, and yeah. a brief a brief explanation of what the feudal system is or feudalism uh, it was the dominant social system in medieval Europe where nobility held lands from the crown in exchange for military service so like under feudalism all things really belong to the king and then he loans out land in exchange for their support in wars and that came in after William the Conqueror Mm. Um, feudalism also created a big rift between the haves and the have-nots where like peasants were obliged to live on the lord's land and give him homage and work for him and uh, give the produce to him um, and that kind of comes into the fact that uh, that causes a lot of animosity between the haves and the have-nots um, yeah is uh, that like where they can't you couldn't go into a forest and hunt deer for yourself yeah, for your family yeah. or anything like that because that's he, technically owned by the crown yeah, so, you know, England has so much wildlife and trees and stuff, but people were starving because it was all owned by the king and they couldn't hunt or fish and things like that without paying levies and taxes, etc. Um, 
so that's feudalism was in England. It wasn't really in Wales. So uh, as I mentioned a bunch of times, Wales was very fragmented and it didn't have a sole king like the feudal system has. So instead, there's many princes and chiefdoms. Um, there was no one at the top to pay homage to or to rally behind. Um, mm. But even if we were in a feudal system, Wales would have looked different to the other feudal systems um, because many of the feudal no- nobles and knights would attend like dressed in this big pageantry in heavy armor and their horses would be yeah. in chain mail and metal helmets. Um, and these noblemen would also be draped in huge, heavy, thick uh, chainmail encumbered by like strong but well-made weapons. And none of that fits into Welsh terrain, which is often roughy, mm. rough, hilly, very marshy and slippery. So if you'd, the whole look of fe- being a, a member of the feudal system would have been difficult for the nobility. Just wouldn't, wouldn't reply. It, yeah, it just yeah. wouldn't be practical, would it? Yeah, it just doesn't fit for Wales. Um, and another, another difference to the feudal way was the Welsh armies were mostly based around individual princes or chieftains' personal bodyguards, which we call tailey, uh, which means family mm. in Welsh. And I'll get to these a little bit later, but these were like professional soldiers who were well-equipped and trained and were immensely loyal. Um, then the rest of the force would be made up of countrymen and locals who were above the age of 14. Um, the only men over 14 who were exempt from service were those who were like tenants of church lands, so like... You know, anyone involved with the church who was looking after the church would right, be yeah. called up. Makes sense. Um, and then the differences between the feudal militias uh, was this call to arms was seen as a privilege in Wales rather than an obligation. Uh, mostly because Wales has always been like this big warrior nation and fighting was an immense source of pride for families. Um, and that's not to romanticize it. I'm sure many were fucking shitting themselves when they got the call up. Yeah. But similarly to like Viking warriors, Celts specifically always reveled in the chance to fight and die in battle and get that like warrior's death. Um, it's just part of that culture, and if that's all you're fed from birth till yeah. fourteen or whatever, if you get a chance to pick up a sword and go fighting, that's just yeah. I imagine that's just so ingrained in you that it's a privilege, isn't it? And loads of Welsh sports were centred around training for war, like we did the Knappan episode. Mm. Um, a lot of that is just kind of like seeing who's the fastest, who's the strongest, who's that, just to figure out where they'd be in a in an army. You know, if you're the fast yeah. one, you'd be a skirmisher. If you're strong, you'd be in the wall, um, and all that stuff. So, um, yeah. Uh, that, that isn't to romanticize because I'm sure, yeah, it would have still been. There would be some. There'd be people like me and you going, hmm, I think I want to join the church. So, <laughs> yeah, you'd be saying to your mum and dad, I can't wait. I can't wait to join the army. And then down <laughs> yeah. the, the tavern, and then we'd yeah. be like, Oh, are you fucking getting shipped off as well? Oh, I'm going to shit. I'm going to yeah. shit. Oh, when you said tavern then, so that's the Welsh word for pub. Um, there's mm. this guy on. Uh, so, we, we know we have a lot of American listeners who uh, listen to us because they have Welsh roots. There's a really good person on Instagram called um, Dr. Kamraig. So, Dr. like how you spell it in English, then Kamraig, uh, who does a lot of the etymology and history around uh, Welsh language. And he's really interesting. And I've been speaking to him on our Instagram, and he's going to come on and do an episode with us. And he's. So yeah, he's really, really interesting. He loves history. The doctor um, will be in the house. I love yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and just to check him out on Instagram, he's called Dr. Kamraig. Um, uh, anyway, back to this. Uh, so I read that the princes and leaders could only call out to these men. So when I said a minute ago, there was a Tailey, you know, who these royal uh, mm. guard who'd be with them all the time. Um, when they called for the wider men, so any, any countrymen or locals over 14, they could only do this once a year. And it would mean they'd, they'd only be able to serve in a campaign. Uh, and they would only be able to serve in a campaign outside of their own region for up to six weeks. So you couldn't call on someone from like Keredigion and go to invade Gwent and have him there for a year unless he was part of like, you know, unless oh, they right. wanted to be. It was the terms of service that you'd only call them up for six weeks at a time. Um, I got you, right? 
Um, so the size of these armies could call up uh, the size of these armies that they could call up would drastically vary depending on the prince's own resources, influence, and what the campaign was. For example, like when Wales rallied together against the Normans, who'd been inflicted like unbearable misery for locals for so long, more people rallied to the call. Um, like we covered in the Battle mm. of Creek Mile, like Griffiths at Brees of the Haymarath managed to rally like eight thousand people, and they were, um, and then people from Gwynedd came down. You know, it was a, a much bigger pool because people were so fed up. Um, yeah, I imagine those would pull in a lot more punters than, um, say, you were just having a squabble with the, the lord yeah, next door kind of exactly. thing. You're probably not going to get as many. Yeah. Like, uh, and what's Gwynedd? Volunteers. Volunteers, yeah. Um, so 8,000 people might not sound huge now, but compared to the size of the kingdom, which was sparsely populated, like the Haybath was very sparsely populated, 8,000 people is a huge amount of people to get. Mm. Um, and maybe not so sparsely populated, but far less populated than uh, the rest of Wales is now. Um, and uh, But often the armies would be far smaller than this, and they'd often be com- comprised of a select few to act as raiding parties. So instead of having an actual battle and with you know a pitched open field battle they'd get a small raiding party to run in and cause as much carnage in a quick amount of time as possible before disappearing because like i said the welsh aren't big on open field pitched battles it's often our downfall isn't it like and when we do those big open battles we we, like you said we don't fare well unless we've got like the an ace in the hole where someone's you know a a cohort of the army is hiding in the trees like in battle bring bring glass or something like that yeah and the main army on the field is to draw them out and things we don't usually fare that well against uh, i was like you said open field battle you can tell that you're a history buff now mate because i've actually got that written down in a little (laughs) bit um so now i'm going to talk about the tailey um so the tailey were these incredibly well armed often have access to a mount aka a horse and would be well looked after in terms of having good accommodation maybe their own land they'd have good armor um they wouldn't be as heavy as a normal uh, as a Norman's feudal knights, but in essence, they had the same gear. So they they would have chainmail, shields, lance, sometimes javelins, um, and like a personal sword. But it wouldn't be to the same quality or the same weight as a Norman feudal knight. Um, the tailor consisted of better equipped horsemen, uh, in, known individually as Uchelwyr, um, and the size yeah. of a Welsh party's a Welsh prince's tailey in the eleventh to t- uh, early twelfth century was normally around one hundred and twenty men. So this little like squad would be uh, you know one hundred and twenty. But they'd be deep. like your medieval kind of spec ops guys. Yeah, they? they'd be so hot shit sort of thing. You could picture them beating an army of five hundred peasants quite easily. You know, uh, yeah. One good trained arm. I was trying to find like a a. a uh, ratio, and I was trying to say like how how different is like a good trained soldier versus just your average Joe, and it's like yeah. people often say like one trained soldier could kill between like three to seven uh, untrained soldiers, so somewhere around there. So say we say it's like one to five, uh, so one hundred twenty good men is worth better than five hundred untrained men. I was going to say it's quite a lot of killing power for a relatively small yeah. unit of of men, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, but by the time of Llewellyn Ap Griffith, a.k.a. Llewellyn in Llewolaf, the last Prince of Wales, his tailey uh, was 160 in size, so it had gone up again. Again, that might seem a small Oof. increment, but given the size of the country at the time, um, it was quite considerable. Mm. Um, and the Welsh and like you also... said, if, e- if each member of the tailey can pick off, was it three yeah. to seven? Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. So, that's yeah. So the, you know, they're a formidable force to work with. Um the Welsh would also sometimes bulk out their armies with mercenaries from Ireland and the Vikings from Scandinavia. Um, 
And there's some examples of the French being used as mercenaries, such as in the 15th century for Oanglin Dude, he got help from some French soldiers who landed in West Wales. Mm. Um, so next to the weapons, uh, those who lived in kingdoms and princedoms in North Wales were mostly spearmen. And if you ever played the computer game Total War II Britannia, you'll know that the Medionis <laughs> spearmen were some of the best. And they um, are, yeah, you always get a couple of them in the army. You've got to yeah, have them. Yeah, they're always there. Uh, so Medionis, uh, that's like a region in North Wales. And I don't think it's called that anymore. Um, but no. it was a, it was a, in North West Wales. I'm bad in the East and West. Um, and then those in the South were prolific archers with the best coming from Gwent as they were the most accustomed to war because uh, it's more on the border. Um, and I always imagine like soldiers with like swords and shields, but swords would cost way mm. so much more money due to the amount of metal that was used. So spears were the much more cost-effective weapon that most of the soldiers would have. Um, like the, the aren't they the like much far superior if you if like you had um a, a guy with a sword and a shield and a guy with a sword and a spear isn't it like more likely the spear guy will win as well I, because they they can keep them at range range yeah um must be um so I I don't know that okay Jack you've caught me off guard <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> um, but also other weapons that would be included with would, would be like the throwing spear uh, like which is javelin. daggers round shields maces giz arms which I think you spoke about before. G-I-S-A-R-M-E-S which are like pole-like spears that have a few curved blades coming off at the end. Oh yeah, they look they look like little hooky things, like you know, like fish hooks kind of thing, but with a big spear on the front. Yeah, and they used really good in shield walls, which were a big tactic used by the Anglo-Saxons, where you could just put this spear through and yank through, and you're going to hit someone on the way back. And then you'd often have soldiers who have farm equipment, like chopping axes, iron rods, and if you're really unlucky, like rakes and pitchforks. So that was kind of the makeup of what the weapons would be used within a Welsh army. Mm. Um, The more the Welsh fought against the Normans, though, the better their weapons got, because the Welsh were really big on raiding the corpses and the camps that they just attacked. So each incursion would often mean that they'd lost their weapons like javelins, but gained a much sturdier, better equipment in return. Why bother forging your own swords and shit? You <laughs> yeah. just nick them from the Normans. Yeah, Easy. yeah, there is. A, I, I think we'll discuss this when we have the uh, the Doctor Camarig on. But um, mm. so you know, like if if a country if it somewhere has the word "llan" in front of it, it means there's a church there. So "llan" a street, yeah. um, and if there's "caer" there, it means there's a fort. There. Castle so, in it, yeah. yeah. So fort. like "caer deeds," it means there's a fort there. Um, I think there is one for forges and. Uh, obviously there were forges but um we we yeah were better at stealing than making especially in this period um yeah the dress code then um i'll talk about what these fine folk wore into battle they were often dressed in a linen shirt which is very stylish and <laughs> linen drawers um, very nice. often they were covered with a wooden cloak uh, hanging to their knees which was often quite thin um several manuscripts depict welsh warriors as having only one shoe on uh, and the other barefoot um, which people think is probably to give them better balance on the hilly terrain or like the rocks around there. So it's better to have. I've heard that, isn't it? Just yeah. be less slippy if you're on like a, a yeah. wet hill. But you how know? bad are your that. shoes? It, like, if you, it's better being barefoot on rock, like, how mm. shit with these I've shoes? also read, I have also read as well that that one uh, barefoot thing is yeah. a bollocks thing invented by 
the English to depict us as like backwards Idiots. and strange. But <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I don't know. But there's yeah. me- I like the romanticizing of yeah, it's a tactical yeah. decision if yeah. it was true, and if it I isn't true, yeah, it was just a lie by the English. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it says several manuscripts, and I don't even know what a manuscript is. So it's, yeah, um, just call it uh, a book, innit? An yeah. old book. Um, Hair was often worn short and was shaped around the eyes and ears. Uh, and mustaches were very popular, but beards were not. So you've got you might have seen that statue of um, uh, Con. That uh, sorry, that statue in Conway. Uh, Conway. How do you say it? Is it Conway? Conway. Yeah, yeah Conway. Um, there's that statue of Llewellyn the Great with that dashing mustache. Uh, mustache. He does have like a nice tash, doesn't Hulk he? Hogan, doesn't he? He's got the old Hogan. <laughs> Yeah, um, going up to Edward the first. What you gonna do, brother? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Edward the first is not a true Hulkamaniac. <laughs> um, I have to say, Shlomo, this is Shlomo the Great, his great grandfather, who wasn't around with mm. Edward the first. So I'm sorry that. that oh, I thought you said Llewellyn. Uh, I thought Llewellyn had a um, uh, like Al Griffith had a, a tash as well. Oh, uh, maybe. I've seen the, pictures of him painted with a little tash. Probably, but the one I'm thinking of, that he's he's got like um, he's stood with his sword, like uh, the the heel of his sword in his hand, and he's got this absolute like triangle mustache on. He looks hilarious. <laughs> um, uh, uh, anyway, sorry. Um, shields were often decorated white yellow, silver, or blue, and the bows they used were different to any other country, uh, or different to other countries. There might have been some that were the same, but mostly, um, we covered this in the past, but the Welsh longbow was one of the most powerful weapons of the medieval, medieval period, and was eventually incorporated into the, with a devastating effect into the English armies, such as when the Welsh were used at Falkirk in Scotland. Um, but the Welsh bow was made of elm, not yew or horn, and yew or horn was like the 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 norm across Europe to, to use for bows. Um, and originally the Welsh bow wasn't actually that long. It wasn't that six foot monster that we it is shown mm. now. Uh, it was a crude, but like really powerful and used at close quarters with like devastating effect. Um, over time. The, I think you said in one of the previous episodes ages ago now, where there's the dwarf elm or something, isn't it? Is the name of the tree. Yeah. yeah. And it's just like super, super sturdy. So like yeah. it has more, I don't know what the term would be, yeah. but like when you pull it back, more for force. For, is it called when you, uh, when you lose talk? It. Is that the word? Talk, maybe. I, I, I don't know. Talk. That sounds like something for cars, doesn't it? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, so it developed over time. It developed this six-foot behemoth, but um, at the time it was used in close range and often used as an ambush weapon. Um, there's a story I think you mentioned before, but during the fighting at Abergavenny Castle, one arrow was recorded to have penetrated a horseman's mail-covered leg through his saddle and into the horse far enough to kill it. Um, so it, it you know went through all those layers. Yeah, and then, I think I remember. It. I can't remember what episode that was on, but yeah, I remember yeah. reading that. And another arrow was fired through a four-inch oak door. Um, which they have evidence of, apparently. Uh, so, the, yeah, so that's where the, the Welsh bow is different. It was often used, um, and, and lots of the other countries wouldn't use uh, bows in close combat. So, um, it was it kind of represents the frantic nature of Welsh fighting, like attack in, fire really quickly, get out of there. But I'll cover that in a second. Um, and the last part is herald, heraldry, which was uh, known in the late 12th century um, uh, onwards, which is the process of using, displaying, and uh, regulating like hereditary symbols on your coat of arms or, or like castles and mm. things like that, uh, which was used to distinguish individuals and their army. So again, about Owen uh, Llewellyn Vaud, 
uh, in that statue where he's got this big mustache he has that he has he's got a shield in the other hand which he's kind of resting on um and it's those four lion looking beasts on like a red and yeah. yellow check background so if you google it that's the mustache i'm thinking and it's it's, it's so uh, it looks like a little arrow it's, on his it's chops. beautiful <laughs> beautiful it's um uh, i was gonna say the um yeah because like I, i'm sure a lot of welsh people will have seen Owen Glyndwr's flag that gets like yeah. waved around a lot doesn't it that's a, that's sort of I'd say that's probably when you see most yeah. when you look at like uh, Welsh significant events so you said you saw a few in bloody um, Glastonbury uh, in Glasgow didn't you yeah. yeah yeah, I did quite like that uh, what's his it's, it's black and white it's black and uh, yellow isn't it his one oh uh, his one's is it oh. yellow with red lions oh, yeah. four red lions something like yeah. that uh, yellow and red four lions yeah Owen Glyndwr uh badge <laughs> we just check badge yeah 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 so it's it's actually not too dissimilar to Llewellyn's and I think they were related so um well they were descended there's also I can't remember if it was Llewellyn's or Glyndur's but um he used it it was only once or twice he used um the golden dragon dragon yeah. it was either called the golden dragon of Llewellyn or, or Glyndur I can't remember which one but that was that's quite a cool one that's like something you'd never see really and I remember reading about that I think that was pretty different anyway so back to the tactics um the tactics we said this like a bunch of times so one of the biggest weapons the welsh had was uh the country herself like the terrain was really difficult difficult to maneuver and there was a thick in like it, it was covered thick in ancient forest um that was before edward the first cut most of it down to stop us using it as a defensive tool but also to fuel his war machine but most of wales was covered in this really ancient forest that was a uh, incredibly mm. uh helpful for nature and really important for people who lived here um, primarily, Welsh tactics consisted of ambushes and raids, uh, and you would determine how successful your battle had been by how much of your men had plundered and stolen from the enemy. So rather than like how many you killed, it's like how much you've taken yeah. gain from it. Uh, Geraldus Cambrensis, uh, you know that guy who uh, wrote mm. a lot about Wales? I think he's called Gerald of Wales. Oh, Gerald um, of Cambria, yeah. Yeah, he he, um, he, he was English, I think. Um, we'll, we'll do a proper episode on him, but he'd often write about Wales, sometimes in a, in the not, not the most favourable way, um, and he was writing for an English audience, which is quite important to think about. But he said, uh, he notes that the Welsh habit to steal anything they can lay their hands on and to live on plunder, <laughs> theft and robbery <laughs> was, was a big tactic. Bunch um, of dirty thieves, them, them Welsh. Yeah. Uh, battle, battle was preferred on marshy or broken ground, which favoured the Welsh mobility over clumsy, heavy-armoured English knights. So we've seen that a few times with Owen Glyn doing oh, things. Yeah. We'd fight on the marshlands because we can get... Uh, so many it. battles won because of that and you know like yeah. heavy horse not being effective because they can't yeah. run on marsh or craggy ground and stuff and yeah, the normans all the time the normans um up until you know well onwards from the middle period uh heavy horse was like their strongest weapon so they use that to like mm. batter people where literally they'd crush them with it uh, so this Welsh initial onslaught was always really fierce but if it didn't break the enemy um, it would often cause the Welsh to lose heart and uh, I see a lot of myself in that, like emotional and reactive, full of enthusiasm yeah. to begin with. But the first sign things go wrong, but, oh, what's the fucking point? We might as well be dead That's anyway. Like me with any bloody hobby I've ever tried to, to do it. <laughs> yeah. If I'm not fucking amazing at it within like a week, I'm like, what's the fucking point? This yeah, is shit. Might as well be dead. I'm going to give it up now. 
but to counter this, the Welsh spirits were picked up by loud battle cries and war trumpets blowing, which would sound really intimidating, but it would pick you back up. I'd, I'd, I'd be uh, carried on by that. If... I can, yeah, I can imagine uh, them being a rowdy bunch. You know, if I was going on, <laughs> being a bit flat and whatever, they go, let's yeah. sing a song, lads. Let's have a couple yeah, of mug of it and sing a song. I'm like, go on then. Yeah, I'll stick around for a bit longer. Yeah. So these initial charges were a headlong assault accompanied by uh, throws of javelins uh, and a really fierce quick clash. And this would often be followed up by a fainted flight, which is a common tactic uh, amongst lightly armored troops against and like really agile troops to lead the enemy into a trap. Mm. So they'd run in, they have this huge quick farrah, like throw these javelins, do as much damage as possible, then look like they're running away, lead that army there into like a cul-de-sac where they just get slaughtered by a... uh, quickly get slaughtered where they didn't need to be a big um you know they're not an open field mm. anymore a prolonged drawn out thing yeah yeah um i read that uh, at the battle of lincoln in 1141 it was recorded that on the flank there was a great multitude of welshmen better provided with daring than with arms which means like they weren't in this great heavy armor uh, and they weren't mm. like armed to the teeth but like most celts uh, of the medieval period they relied upon like agility and smarts and clever cunning of, uh, as opposed to armor so they were yeah provided with daring over arms yeah, I like it. Oh. that's a nice description uh, often due to the lack of troops and resources, when Wales wasn't able to do these flash hit and run tactics, it resulted in losses. Um, we just don't have the cap- capability to fight armies that have like often ten times the resources and manpower the kingdoms yeah. Wales could produce. Like you mentioned that a bit ago, didn't you? Yeah, it's you, you it, like you said, it's our strengths lie elsewhere, don't they? You know, we have the when, you find that in a lot of the battles in medieval times, where if it's on our land, that it's always giving us a home home advantage and we win far more of those than when we try and take it across the border we Mm. start fighting on english land where it's all flat and that we can't use you know the things that we honed over all these generations Uh, and kingdoms yeah anywhere on the border so like kingdoms when when Mm. they get to like the the border the marshal lands and stuff like that where it is flatter and a bit more open um uh, and in these stand-up pitches, the Welsh would often form those shiltrons, which we mentioned before, which are those hedgehog-type yeah. spear ovals. And we discussed them at length in the Battle of Falkirk episode, so if you're interested, go check that one out. Uh, but the Normans slash English would often use Welsh archers against the kings or princes of Wales and use those archers, with, uh, they'd decimate these shiltrons. Um, and then uh, the English would just send the horses to mop them all up. Um so how um so what was it with the Welsh the English or sorry the Normans would use would they be like uh, often ones from often from South like Wales. mercenaries or so often uh, they'd utilize on the fact that p- kingdoms in like Powys for example felt like they were being mm. encroached upon by kingdoms of Gwynedd so they'd work together to push back ah, okay. the, 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 the marches from Gwynedd and they'd often see the Welsh as big an enemy as the English crown. Um, and ah, in, the age-old thing yeah. of the Welsh fighting the Welsh instead <laughs> yeah. of just yeah, and, um, yeah, the classic. South Wales did that a lot with North Wales. Um, so often these archers from South Wales would be used throughout um, as mercenaries against the or uh, sometimes in collaboration against the uh, people from North Wales, especially De Hebarth mm. and Gwynedd, uh, who were like the most powerful Normans. kingdoms in Wales. Normans yeah. and the English playing both yeah. sides, so they always come out on top. It's <laughs> yeah. not, not a bad tactic. <laughs> Um, and then from JSTOR, do you know like JSTOR, that like a uh, website you use at uni that has all the books ever like written? Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. But because I'm not a student, I couldn't get all of it. But from what I read, um, 
one passage um, said the conduct uh, where it was describing like uh, Welsh medieval warfare compared to uh, that mm. of wider Europe. They said the conduct of war in Wales, as often in Ireland and Scotland, tends to be seen as different, more brutal and primitive than that in elsewhere in Europe in the Middle Ages. It is perceived by that Anglo-Saxon conduct was in line with the rest of Britain, but then after 1066, new codes of behaviour were introduced to England uh, related to the growth of chivalry. This meant that from the 12th century, observers from England and continental Europe were horrified by the brutality of war in Wales. So... um, that kind of represents that like when England got conquered in 1066, they introduced that code, mm. you know, like a knight's code and chivalry and all that stuff. But because they oh, hadn't yeah, conquered yeah. Wales, uh, we were still barbaric. So <laughs> just, just rough bastards. Yeah, <laughs> well, the, we, we'd still be using tactics that are used by the Celts. So in terms of like maiming corpses and leaving them there for the enemy to see, like we did that mm. at Battle of Bringlass. Um, um, and that was like, yeah, you know, Celts in the were 14, big 1800s. on taking heads as well, weren't they? Yeah. So they'd often like take the heads they'd often take heads, throw them at the enemy uh, like a few days later. So if they've taken a caravan and they've lobbed some heads off, the Welsh would then use them a few days later, just not to even hurt them, but just to elicit fear. Um, So brutality and the fear of not knowing when you might be ambushed became one of the defining tactics of the Welsh. Um, And now the last thing I'll cover quickly is siege warfare. Um, When the Welsh could amass big enough forces, they were capable. They they could be capable of uh, sieging castles, but their siege tactics employed like they weren't those of the feudal armies that would often um, Mm. have big war machines and like you know trebuchets and stuff. But the Welsh never built those, so they very very rarely use them. Um, They didn't have things to knock. They didn't have trebuchets or catapults, etc. So their siege tactic was to uh, keep the enemy stuck inside and scared of what was outside, so they'd surrender. So this relied, this mostly relied on having a really strong display of force outside the castle walls, which wasn't always the case. Um, and they, their other tactic would be to prevent suppliers getting into the castle to effectively starve the defenders out. However, by the time of cruel old Edward I, he'd learnt this. So to counter it, he started placing all his newly constructed castles along the coastline, which made it a lot much easier for uh. them to be supplied by the sea. And the Welsh practically have no navy, so it was a real game changer. So during um, Maddox's revolt in Carnarvon Castle, for example, when that was stormed, uh, when the Welsh got in, they came across a rock, a rock-cut ditch, which was a way of getting loads of supplies from the water to the castle without being detected. And then as time went on, Wales began to fall to the English and became subdued. Uh, the Welsh became subjects as uh, became subjects of auxiliary troops, so they became like the front line. Um, they're often used as kind of like the, the first people to go into the battle, or they'd Cannon be used for fodder, yeah. yeah, or as prowess for with the bow. So um, often, men from South Wales would be used against the North Welsh, um, like we just mentioned. Um, like you said, up in Scotland as well. Then as well, well, yeah, said. yeah. Um, in that Battle of Falkirk, um, there was a point where their morale was really low, and they were going to revolt against Edward just before. But I think Edward killed all their leaders, so they all kind of stayed in line. But <laughs> yeah, nothing, uh, nothing like a a, <laughs> yeah. a cull to sort yeah. of get you back into the fray. Um, they went up to Scott Falkirk, and they pretty much slaughtered the Scottish. And the majority of that army were all Welsh archers and troops. Um, mm. And then the troops were used in Ireland to fulfil a similar role to the Irish kerns and skirmishers. And um, they were used as like mercenaries there. And then later, the English armies like would use Welsh troops for campaigns in France. So like, you know, Battle of Waterloo, there was a big contingent mm. of Welsh people there. Um, in the Battle of the Bulge in the war, um, there was a big contingent of Welsh troops there. In the War of the Roses, uh, there's a giant battle of St. Fagans where uh, we get incorporated into 
uh, Welsh, specifically Welsh uh, squadrons. So, like the in Zulu, they called you know the Royal Welsh Borderers, uh, the Royal Welsh, the Royal mm-hmm. Welsh Regiment. They had a a specifically Welsh regiment for you know still to this day we still do. Um, so yeah, that was my um, whistle stop tour of uh, life in medieval Wales as a soldier. That's good, mate. I know we touch on like elements of that yeah. sort of in and out uh, throughout the the pod really but it's nice to go over just the what's the word like a general view of exactly what the approach was and sort of how the welsh yeah. went about it yeah so and it gives you a bit more of imagination when we talk about these battles then and it's sort of what they exactly were. especially because the next week's episode is going to be on uh owain vowed who was a mm. welsh leader from north wales so uh we'll cover that next week um i'm gonna have to go back to work so I've just realized it's, um, I'm getting loads of messages, so I'm going to have to go back <laughs> yeah. and do my job. <laughs> You've been prioritizing uh, your, the, the fun side of life. Again. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, to, to stop us having to go back to work, uh, you can donate to the pod uh, with a link in the pod description uh, or on our socials. You can go to our socials at Tales for Wales podcast and leave us a review if you can uh, to follow us and yeah, just tell people about the pod. We'd love that ever so much. Yeah, no pressure, but we absolutely hate working so doing us a favour like that would be brilliant <laughs> absolutely well cheers everyone cheers everyone